Keith's office. He would come in my office and pray with us from time to time. And we knew after day after day, and then week after week, and then year after year, he, he did what ministry takes. So he does run a uh, ministry called Emergency Chaplains. I'm proud to be a, a, a personal supporter of it, and I'm proud that our church is a supporter of it out of the missions here because the work he does is good ground. And we have one of our own, Sister Lisa, who's one of the uh, chaplains there and helps. And so if you're interested in being a chaplain, he's looking for chaplains. And he's just done a fantastic job with that. He's been faithful to it. He has a, he has a, a vision to get it in all 100 counties. And so uh, he's also a minister of the gospel, so I'm, I'm proud to um, introduce my friend, Ralph Thompson. I feel like I just need to go ahead and do the altar call now after that. Uh, it's time for everybody to sign up to be a chaplain. I'll see if I can convince you further here for the next few minutes. But, uh, man, I, I want to tell you what a privilege it is to be here. And I hate that uh, Pastor Don's not here. Uh, what a precious, precious gift your pastor has been to me. And I, I can testify. I, I know that he's been a gift to you as well. But to me personally, uh, he has been such a gift to me. And I don't know if I would have survived the early years that we were doing this ministry without his prayer support and his encouragement and the other men and women who were gathered at uh, Durham Ministers in Prayer. So they, they've been, uh, been a great, great encouragement to me. So Pastor Don, if you're watching, get well soon. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm privileged to stand here in your place today. We, did, we started emergency chaplains in 2008. Now, this is our 13th year of ministry. I think Larry uh, told you he couldn't get rid of me, kind of like a fungus. It uh, just uh, keeps hanging around, hanging around. Uh, we have volunteers now and, and students in, I think, 20-some counties in North Carolina, and we've got uh, students and volunteers have started in four different states, have over 100 people as students in our certification program. So that's, that's what you're helping us to do, and I just want to say thank you, uh, Bethel, folks at Bethel, for helping us to carry out the ministry that God has called both of us to. Uh, on the Welcome Center, when you leave here today, I want to invite you to pick up a gift. I've been here before and offered this gift to you. This is our prayer sticker. Some of you are members of our prayer team, and I want to encourage you to sign up to be a member of our prayer team. We'll send you a, an email a couple of times a month with prayer requests that are specific to first responders and our chaplains. And all you've got to do, our website's there, it's echap, echap.org, echap.org. If you'll go there, it's a way to contact us, say, hey, I want to be on the prayer team. But do pick up a sticker. You don't have to be on the prayer team to have a sticker. And I want to, I want to encourage you, I'd love to pull up here one Sunday morning and see every, every car in the parking lot had one of these stickers on the back window, the windshield that faces back towards, uh, uh, you know the one where the state trooper is behind you and he can see? Y'all know that window? You know the one I'm talking about? This is a bumper sticker, but put it higher so he can be sure and see it up on the window. And if you'll do this, I want to guarantee you something. Y'all ready for this? You'll never get another speeding ticket. <laughs> I promise you. Now, all that you're doing by fixing this sticker to your car is you agree to obey all traffic laws. So it works. It's flawless. Nobody has ever gotten a ticket with one of these on their, uh, on their car, and they were being faithful to the promise.
to obey all traffic laws. So seriously, this, this sticker, if, if first responders around Durham see this sticker, they know that God's people, it's a reminder of them that God's people are praying for them. And there has never been a, a more critical time in history for us to be praying for our first responders and especially our law enforcement officers than today. They need to know that the true followers of Jesus are on their side. And that's us. We're on their side and we're praying for them. We need them and we want to encourage them every, every way that we can. Being a, being a first responder is a very difficult job. They are, they are suspect to, to everything that ails us, but just in a higher degree, it seems like. First responders are more suspect to things like divorce and infidelity, uh, substance abuse, depression. Did you know that a law enforcement officer is two times more likely to die at their own hand as the hands of an assailant? These are the folks that hold the fabric of our society together. They need God's people to be behind them. Can you imagine, just imagine for just a minute with me uh, Larry, I bet you can do this one. We've done this one a few times in prayer. Can you imagine that if every officer in the Durham Police Department knew Jesus as Lord and Savior and ruled with the peace of Christ in their heart, how different the culture would be in that law enforcement agency, how different even the culture would be in our community because of that force that all of them believe in Jesus and rule with the peace of Christ in their heart. And that's my prayer. Every first responder, our, our ministry is the gospel, and we are after them with the gospel because Jesus, he's the one that makes the difference. So I want to, uh, also want to mention to you our crisis response team. Larry, this is what uh, you were talking about where we could use a lot of help. Uh, here in Durham, we have a crisis response team that serves uh, side by side with our first responders. These chaplains are out there providing a service to the community. In 2020, last, last year, last calendar year, our volunteer chaplains responded, I think, 420 times to, to calls from first responders to come on scene to be with them to minister to somebody that was going through a critical situation. Most of the times that they were there, it's during a time of an unattended death where somebody dies outside of a hospital or a hospice facility. Uh, but we, we're there to care for people that are going through grief. It's about 14 people in Durham now that are trained and able to do that. And I want to invite you, if this is something that God has, has given you a, a burden for, there's a place for you at Emergency Chaplains. If you're a Jesus follower and have this burden, we want to help you to follow through in that call that God may be uh, putting on your life right now. So pick up one of our brochures back at the Welcome Center, a bumper sticker. I'll be here after the service is over. I'd love to talk to you. You can find my phone number anywhere. Call me, and, and we'll talk about uh, first responder chaplaincy for you in crisis team chaplaincy. Our mission is simple. We build caring relationships with those first responders, with those law enforcement officers, firefighters, paramedics, and, and 911 communicators. We build caring relationships with those people that we just met on a scene that are going through a crisis. We build those relationships with the hope of gaining permission to share the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ in a non-threatening manner. That's why we exist. We're there with the gospel, and we'd love to talk with you 
about that. My wife and son are with me today. I forgot to mention them. Uh, Carter's the one that makes me look good. or I actually she, I make her look a whole lot better because she's prettier than I am. Uh, but uh, Carter and Carl, anytime that I preach uh, within an hour's drive of home, they like to go with me, and I like for them too. So I'm thankful uh, for a helper in ministry. And actually, two helpers. Uh, these guys are so involved in what we do. I could tell you a lot of stories, but I, uh, I'll tell you stories later on. Let's do this. Let's take our Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 9. I want to look at a passage at the end of Matthew chapter 9 and talk to you about how do you reach a community? How do you reach a group of people with the gospel when that group of people has absolutely no interest in the gospel? How do you reach your community when your community has no interest in eternal matters? How do you reach a community? How do you reach people that have no interest in Jesus? Now, I ask that question. It's a very important question that we need to ask ourselves because we are Great Commission Christians. What that means is we are a people who are commanded to make disciples. And I ask that question because as we go out into our world, it seems like that nobody's interested in what we have here. And I think that's the problem. It's too often we keep it here. And I want to talk to you today about, from Matthew chapter 9, uh, some of the answers that we have. Our culture is rapidly changing. It has changed more probably this year than it has in the last 10 years. In the last 10 years, it's changed more in the last 100 years. Things are rapidly changing in culture, and culture is moving steadily away from Jesus. Our culture is, is focused more on, on anything other than Jesus. We are not moving toward Jesus as a culture, but I want to tell you something. Nothing changes about the gospel. There, there's an elementary fact here. Everybody needs Jesus. Everybody needs Jesus. Jesus is the only answer. And something else I'll tell you about people, they may not know that they need Jesus, but everybody is looking for the truth. Everybody's searching. Everybody that you see, everybody that you ever lay eyes on is searching for the truth. And the noise of this world makes it hard for people to hear the truth. But I want to tell you this. Remember this, many people right around you, many people that you know, many people that you love, many people that are close to you, they are just one friendship away. They are one life event away. They're one life crisis away. Maybe they, they are even just one conversation away from being able to see and hear and respond to the truth of the gospel. And that's why I want us to look at Matthew chapter 9 and start in verse 35 and talk about for just a few minutes, how do we reach lost people in our community? And I love this passage. It's a personal inspiration for me, but it's, a per it's an inspiration for the ministry of emergency chaplains and what it helps us to do. It's not about a particular method of sharing the gospel, so don't be afraid that I'm, I'm going to make you memorize some things and then call you and test you on those later. What I'm trying to help you to do and to help you to continue to do is to develop your heart so that you can share the gospel. Because your heart's got to be in the right place in order to share the gospel. And as we look at this passage, I want us to pay attention to the actions of Jesus. Watch Jesus in this passage of Scripture and ask yourself this. Will you commit to living out the actions of Jesus from this passage in your own life? 
as you leave this place today. Now, before we do, let's, let's take a minute and pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the, uh, for the awesome privilege of standing before your people and opening your word and declaring the truth from your word. Uh, Lord, today we pray simply this, that you would take your word, that you would, you would minister to our hearts, you would shine your light into the dark places, that you would speak to us and that we would be changed just by seeing and hearing the very word of God today. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at Matthew chapter 9, starting in verse 35 and read to the end of the chapter. Let's look at Jesus. Pay attention to Jesus and how he, how he interacted with the lost. Jesus, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. So how do we reach lost people in Durham, North Carolina? We have to develop our heart. We have to have a heart like Jesus. And the first commitment that I think you need to make to do that is this. Number one, go to those in crisis. If you're taking notes, just write down. If I'm going to develop my heart, I commit to develop my heart to be like Jesus. And I want to do this. Number one, go to those in crisis. Go to where people are in crisis. Go to where the trouble is. Now you notice in this passage... Jesus went out. Let's read it again. Just the, just the first verse, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. You notice Jesus went out. Jesus could have very well stayed in because around the, 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 the temple in Jerusalem, people were coming to him, and even just hanging out in Jerusalem, Jesus was always seeing people come to him and it's really easy to stay where you are and for people to come to you Have you ever told anybody hey if you need me give me a call y'all tell people that right whenever you need me just give me a call it's really easy but see Jesus wasn't telling people if you need me give me a call Jesus was going to where they were in trouble where they were hurting Jesus you see in this passage he's going town to town and village to village and what's he doing he's healing sick people and if you look through the Gospels, you'll see him doing other things. You'll see him doing things like feeding people, feeding hungry people. Not only healing sick people, feeding hungry people, but he's ministering to grieving people. He's helping people through their situation. He even helps a woman escape being stoned to death because of her adultery. Jesus goes, he takes the hard road out, and he goes out to where people are in crisis. And the, the question that I'm asking as I look at this, why did Jesus go? Because he could just have stayed right where he was, and he could have stayed busy 24 hours a day taking care of folks, just coming to him where he was. But instead, Jesus went out. He went out. He went out to where the people were. And he did this, I believe, as an example to us. He set an example to us that if we would go, we would, we would be right in the middle of people in trouble. Sometimes you just have to be a busybody and get involved in people's trouble. Jesus went to where the trouble was. And you notice as he's going here, the script, this scripture is very clear. 
and, and other scripture is too. Jesus just didn't go and, he, and heal sick people, raise people from the dead, and feed hungry people. That was not Jesus' primary mission here on this earth. Never get in your head that the idea is that Jesus was a comfort bringer, a comfort taker. That was the way that he reached people because his mission was the gospel. He reached people in trouble. He went to where, where people were in trouble with the gospel. First and foremost, always, Jesus was teaching and preaching, proclaiming the truth of the gospel. Just last year, 2020, um, at our banquet, uh, I stood on the stage at Greystone Baptist Church. You know, we did it virtually. had had to do it uh, uh, on the web. Larry was our speaker. And we gave a uh, chaplain of the year award to a guy named Merritt Buchanan. Merritt Buchanan, it might be some of you here that uh, knew Merritt, but Merritt was an awesome chaplain, and he greatly deserved to be named as chaplain of the year. But tragically, on January 20th of this year, uh, Merritt died of COVID. He got COVID around Christmas. On January 20th, he died of complications from the virus. It's very possible that Merritt Buchanan caught COVID while doing ministry for emergency chaplains. It's very possible that that happened. But see, that man, he was 72 years old and in perfect health for a 72-year-old. And he refused to stay at home. This is before the vaccine became available. He refused to stay at home when there were people in his community hurting, needing the presence of Jesus. And he went. And it may have cost him his life, but I can tell you that he has no regrets in heaven right now. His wife has no regrets for what he did because he answered the call to go to where people were in crisis. I can tell you, I could tell you bunches of stories. Merritt documented his, his calls very well. And I could tell you a lot of stories about places he went and the things that he did. And let me, let me tell you one story. Uh, Merritt went on a call one time where an infant had died. Tragic, tragic call. It was a baby. A baby died right there at the house. And he ministered to that family that day under those tragic circumstances, but he noticed something about their home. Their home was in a terrible state of disrepair. And Merritt took action. He began to talk to this family about ways to help them. He mobilized people. He even raised money. He remodeled their house so that they would have a safe place to live. And he didn't do it just because they would have a safe place to live. Y'all remember me telling you that we do things. Jesus went to where people were in crisis for the sake of the gospel. Merritt tried to share the gospel with his family. But they were Spanish speakers, and Merritt didn't speak Spanish. So it was very limited at the amount of communication that they could do at each visit. But on one particular visit, he was able to communicate enough with somebody else there with him that they put this man, this dad who had just lost his infant child to death, put this man on the telephone to a Spanish-speaking chaplain here in Durham. <laughs> the man got saved. <laughs> the man got saved. And that's because... That's because of the gospel. And not only did this man get saved, but Merritt helped him to get baptized, helped him to find a, a Spanish-speaking congregation. The man's family started going to church with him. You know what happened to some members in his family? They got saved. Uh, they got saved. They are now being discipled in this church. And let me tell you why this happened. This happened because a man 
disregarding his own safety, would go into the heart of trouble with armed with the gospel because the gospel is all that matters. And lives were changed. Members of that family, their, their eternal address has changed from hell to heaven because a man named Merritt Buchanan went to where they were armed with the peace of the gospel and shared the gospel with them. They came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Man, that's something to get happy about. I could just stop right now. We could go home. But y'all got a good idea. I'm not. We turned back clocks last night, and somebody told me I had an extra hour to preach today. So we might just be getting started. You know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Hey, let me, let me tell you. Merritt was willing to go to where people were in crisis and lives are changed. Are you willing to do that? Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus' mission statement is Luke 19.10. Make a note in your margin. Write it in your notes. Luke 19.10 says this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let me tell you something. If Jesus Christ had a business card, that slogan would be on it. That is why he came to walk on this earth. So that the, the lost would come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's Jesus' mission. And how did he do it? He went to where people were in crisis. Why did he do it? That's where people... Let me tell you something about going to people in crisis. When you deal with somebody that's in crisis with the love of Jesus and the peace of the gospel in your heart, people are more likely to listen. They're more likely to hear. They're more likely to consider. And they are more likely to surrender to Jesus at a time like that. And not only at a time like that, they might not come to Jesus at a time like that. And all you might get to do is just love on them in Jesus' name, but that's the best time in the world to plant the seeds of the gospel. Let me tell you something. The soil of the soul is the most fertile when people are in crisis. And we as followers of Jesus, we miss the call if we are not intentionally going to where hurting people are, trying to help them in times of crisis. And I want to encourage you to do that. I want to, bring, I want to talk about the second thing we see in this passage about developing our hearts so that we can share the gospel is this. Be brokenhearted for those who are far from God. If you take your notes, write down, be brokenhearted for those who are far from God. Let's look at what Jesus did in verse 36. Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. If you've got a different translation of, of Scripture than I'm using today, your translation might say weary and worn out. It might say they were confused and aimless. It might say that the people were troubled and wandering. Uh, you get the, the picture here. When, we trans when this was translated into English, it was very difficult to translate it into English with the full oomph of what Jesus was saying when the people looked harassed and helpless. And, and English translators have struggled with it. Some say that the people looked distressed and dejected. Others have said that the people looked hurting and helpless. See, the bottom line, when you read that and you look at other translations of Scripture and you see the trouble that we've had with exactly what words to use, You've got to understand the bottom line is this. Jesus looked out across the people, and the people were messed up. These folks, they had no hope. These people were in a spiritual crisis. These people were lost and headed to hell without Jesus Christ. Then, just like today, we've got so many people being led astray by false teachers. Back then, people that were supposed to be the shepherds, were the people that were actually wolves leading them astray. That's happening in churches all across our land today. And if that's not enough problem, 
all across our land, all around the world today, there's, it's Baskin-Robbins theology. There's, there's 31, there's like 1,031 different religions that people can choose from. False religions are all over the world. But the biggest problem I believe that we have in reaching people with the gospel is idolatry. Back then, just like now, idolatry is an issue because people are being fooled by their idols and being, and get, being given false hope, and instead they end up confused and aimless. They end up harassed and helpless. Jesus looks at people as they are harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, he says, and instead of Jesus looking at them and just say, saying, well, they need to know better, right? As Christians, sometimes we, know, we think that people should know better than to be in the circumstance that they're in. Jesus looks at people with compassion, and he doesn't have this kind of, uh, we live in the South, right? Pity, we think about the word compassion means pity. Uh, a lot of times in the South, and especially in the church, we have what I call bless your heart compassion. Do y'all know what bless your heart means? If somebody says, well, bless, and especially if you say bless their heart. Y'all know what that means, right? It means somebody thinks you're dumb in a box of rocks and couldn't find your way out of it. See, Jesus didn't have bless your heart compassion. Jesus had this, it was a deep, gut-wrenching pain to the depth of his very soul, of his human soul, that Jesus looked out across the people and he was hurting for the people that were far from him. He had this compassion that was really deep, that was hurting him. The compassion that Jesus had, this word tells us that this compassion that Jesus had is the same compassion that took him to his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane where he knelt there and he prayed for your salvation and for mine. It's on his knees there that the sweat drops of blood fell to the ground out of compassion that Jesus had for your lostness. That same pain and compassion drove Jesus and it moved him to take my place and your place on the cross at Calvary. That compassion moved Jesus to take my punishment, to suffer and take the punishment that I should have taken. Jesus had compassion on me and took it in my place. And that compassion caused Jesus to shed his blood for the forgiveness of sin so that we all could have a relationship with him and to secure our place in heaven. You don't have to look at this passage long when you look at it this way to understand. Jesus Christ was broken over the lostness of the crowds of humanity that he looked at. When we go into homes at uh, emergency chaplains, everybody's house tells a story about what's happening in their life. And I teach our chaplains, as you go into these homes, look around. Find out what's important to these folks. It will help you be able to minister to them during their time of crisis. And sometimes you'll go into somebody's house and you'll see something. I went to a house one time and I remember the first thing that my eyes fell on was a, a clock that had a plaque on it. On, it was hanging on the wall. And I think it was Philippians 4.13. It was inscribed, we, uh, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. And I took a cue from that where I'm probably in the home of a believer. And a lot of times believers, as we come together around a bedside, sometimes it's in the floor, you never know where this is going to happen. But as people gather and there's other believers gathered, you can sometimes have a little worship service because, man, I'm ready to go to heaven right now. I don't know about y'all, but I'm ready to go to heaven today. 
And uh, Jesus ain't coming back soon enough for me, but at the same time, he's given me a job to do while I'm here. And I, I'm glad to do that. But when somebody goes to heaven, that's, that's victory. That's victory. And I'm wanting to celebrate. And I'm like, well, you know, sometimes, and, and you know, family members don't understand. You, know, you got a whole, it's a mixed bag of things. But anyway, I'm looking at this clock, and I'm like, well, hey, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in the house of these folks are believers. And, and uh, I look down, and I see a statue of Buddha. So now I'm confused. Uh, I, maybe I'm harassed and helpless at this point. I don't know what that means, but you know, what do they believe at this point? And I, I'm praying, Lord, you know, just help me to, to begin to discern where this family is so I can meet them where they are. I go into the bedroom. The woman that had died had died, been pronounced dead. She was in, in her bed. And on her nightstand beside the bed was a Bible. And I'm like, well, cool, we're back in business. And I'm like... It looks like her Bible's pretty close, and uh, I'll be able to, you know, we'll hold hands and pray and just say, thank you, Jesus, and I can pray through the gospel. And I got all, I'm getting excited. And then I look at the Bible, and it's a, it's a New World Translation. If you don't know what that is, it's the Jehovah's Witness Bible. It, 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 it's, a, it's a cult that teaches that Jesus was not truly God. It's a problem. And now I'm back conflicted. I don't, don't know exactly what I'm going to do, but... Here's my point. Right there in the house, within about five minutes, I went through all of these cycles just seeing somebody who I now believe was harassed and helpless, who was far from God, was a sheep without a shepherd. And my question for you is this. Can you see lost people all around you? Do you have the eyes to see that? Let me challenge you. Go home, you know, get the paper today, you know, go online, wherever you get your news, just scroll through social media. And, and look for those things I was talking about. Can you spot the false teachers? Can you spot people that, uh, that claim to be followers of Jesus, but they're, they're teaching some kind of gospel that is just different? It, it is not the gospel of Christ. Can you spot false religions? Can you spot major world religions that are false? And not only those, can you spot things like cults and New Age religions? You know, uh, religions that say they're not religions, but they really are religions. Can you spot them? See, these are the tools that the enemy uses to keep people harassed and helpless, confused and wandering. And can you see the idolatry that's in our world? Can you see the idolatry that's all around us? You don't have to look far to find people that are trusting their money, their brains, their stuff, their abilities, those things to, to earn favor with God or just to get them through life. Can you see people who are harassed and helpless all around you? Can you see your friends and your coworkers? Can you see your family neighbors who are distressed and dejected? Can you see them? Can you see them for what they are, which is sheep without a shepherd? Jesus, and make a note of this, John chapter 10 and verse 10 is a verse a lot of folks know. It reads like this. It says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus says, I have come so that you might have abundant life. And that passage is talking specifically, specifically about the false teachers in Israel. But see, that falseness applies to everything that the enemy puts out there. See, the enemy puts out false religions. The enemy puts out false teachers, false hope, false everything. That's the, the, the job of the enemy. The enemy tries to put these things out there to take the place of the truth. And Jesus says, all these things will do is steal kill and destroy but Jesus says turn to him because he is the good shepherd and he's the only way to eternal life he's the only way to abundant life turn to Jesus the good shepherd so here's the question 
I'm trying to get to in this point. How do you, how do I, how do you stay brokenhearted for lost people? This is hard, right? Uh, the more you deal with people, I've always said being a pastor would be a really cool job if it wasn't for all them people. Because people are messy. And, and, and that's, the, that's the part I'm trying to help you see is that we, see, see, Jesus saved you to be a priest, to be a pastor, to go into the community, to do the work. And you've got to get out there into the messy people too. But everybody's working to have a life that has no mess in it. We've got to get out to where the people are. So it's very hard because people have problems. And they, when, when you get involved with people who have problems, they become your problems. How do you stay brokenhearted? Or how do you become brokenhearted for lost people? I tell you, the number one way to do that is pray for it. Ask Jesus. No, I don't know that anybody really wants to pray, Lord, make me a broken person. Break my heart. But I'm telling you, I, you really need to pray for God to break your heart over lost people. That he would give you the eyes to see the lostness all around you, those harassed and helpless people who are like sheep without a shepherd, and that you would be broken-hearted for them, a compassionate broken heart that would move you to action. If that doesn't work for me, what I do is I remember what Jesus saved me from. And sometimes that's the place where you need to start. I don't know about you, but Jesus saved me from an eternity in hell. I don't know about you, but Jesus saved me from a life of self-destruction and hopelessness. And I'm telling you, when I look in the mirror, there ain't one person on this earth, earth that least deserves the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ in me. I know me. I'm dirty, filthy, rotten to the core in my flesh. And I know that if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody, no matter what they're going through, no matter what their mess is. And I just want to ask you this. Will you commit to do what it takes to be brokenhearted for lost people? I want to show you one more thing in this passage. One more thing is if you want to develop your heart to be ready to share the gospel like Jesus, I want to tell you this. Watch this. Pray for more helpers to join you on the mission field. Pray for more helpers to join you on the mission field. Look at verses 37 38. Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Now, back up for a minute. Now, we've already established the fact that we are Great Commission Christians, so we understand that we have a commandment to go and to make disciples. And this week, as you're going, I've already talked to you about this, I'm praying that you will intentionally go to people who are in crisis and seek to make a difference in their life, meet their needs, and be ready, armed with the gospel. This week as you go, I pray that you'll be taking notice of people who are around you, who are confused, who are aimless, who are wandering, who are hopeless, you know, the sheep without a shepherd, and that you will truly allow Jesus to break your heart over their losses. I'm praying this week that you will have a renewed understanding of how Jesus wants to use you specifically to reach people because the fields are white in the harvest. It is a plentiful harvest. Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful in this passage. You remember it? Why? Because everybody needs Jesus. Nobody's excluded from the harvest. Everybody needs Jesus. He's the only answer. And everybody's already out there looking for him. Some people just don't know that they are. Everybody's seeking the truth. And so many people, I'm telling you, are just one friendship away, 
one crisis away or maybe even just one conversation away from being able to see, hear, and respond to the call of the gospel. But what I'm asking you to do in this passage, in this point, is this. Pray for other people to join you as you do this. So you're already going. If you're being obedient to Jesus, you're already out there in the middle of the harvest field. You're knee deep. You're up to your elbows in lost people. And the more you do that, the more you realize that you can't do this by yourself. And actually, you need help everywhere that you go. And don't miss this. In this passage, this is a command that Jesus gives us. He, he says, pray for workers to go into the harvest field. It's not pray for other people to go do what I should be doing, but pray for people to join me at what I am doing. You know that souls hang in the balance. This is really important work. The gospel, the mission of the gospel is important. And you know it's important to pray for Jesus to reach them and for you to be able to do that. Have you ever done that? Have you ever prayed, Lord, help me? Or there's somebody on your heart and, and you know that you're not, you're not cutting it with them and you know that you need somebody else to come alongside them and just pray specifically for people to help with that? Let me, let me give you an illustration. Let's say we load up the church van and we drive several hours north of here with a bunch of kids. We've got to do that because we've got to go find a pond with ice on it. We ain't going to find that around here. But let's say that we had some kids that wanted to go ice skating on a pond and one of those kids falls through the ice. A child falls through the ice. What would you do if a child fell through the ice that you were responsible for? You would do everything in your power to make sure that you rescued that child. And how do we rescue people that are on the ice? They're out there, it's a hole in the ice, and the ice is thin, so what do we do? We form a human chain to that person to pull them out of the ice, don't we? And you look back at the shore, and there's several people standing at the shore, and what are they doing? It's 2021, they've all got their cell phone out. They're taking pictures. They're just doing a video. They're all, and you turn around and you look at them and you plead with them, put your cell phone down and help me. Somebody come help me. You think about it, it's your baby out there in the ice that has fallen through the ice and you're screaming at the people, somebody help me. And you're just one extra person away from them and you need somebody else in that chain. What would you do? And I'll, I'll bet everybody says, if you were on that ice skating trip, that you would be laying on that ice, on your belly, trying to rescue that child trying to get out there to save them because death is imminent. Let's, make, let's look at this spiritually for a minute. Look at this spiritually. Who do you know, who do you know, spiritually speaking, that's fallen through the ice? Who do you know, spiritually speaking, that is lost, that's far from God? That if they were to die today, that they would spend, you are certain they are, they are far from God and they would spend eternity in hell. Is it your spouse? Is it a child? Is it a coworker? Is it a neighbor? Is it somebody that you just met? I want to encourage you, take seriously this command that Jesus is to pray for workers in the harvest field and start to pray specifically for people who are far from God. For that child of yours that's at college and you know they're far from God, pray specifically that God would bring somebody into their path that loves him and that would witness to them and would love them in Jesus' name. Pray they would join the right clubs, get involved in the right groups. 
What about your husband or your wife? Pray for them. Pray that somebody, a co-worker, would come beside them. Maybe, maybe a relative, maybe somebody from your church. Somebody. My goodness, somebody help. We need somebody to help. This is somebody I love, and not only am I loving them, I'm praying for them, and I'm stretched out on the ice doing everything that I can to reach them. I'm looking at you and saying, help me, help me. And that's what you're saying to God. Say, God, please send, send workers into your harvest field to help me. I'm here. I'm in the field. I'm working hard. There's one right there that I'm trying to reach. Lord God, help me. Send me some help. Is that you? Do you pray like that? Have you ever prayed like that? Until I preached this passage a few times, I had never prayed like that. Myself, I had never prayed like that. I pray like that now, and I, I try to pray like it all the time because I'm always looking for people to help. Even in ministry, I'm always begging people to help. I don't ask people to help us at Emergency Chaplain simply to, to shore up our numbers. I'm asking because people are falling through the ice. I'm asking because we got to get the gospel out, and that soil is the most fertile. That soul of the soil is the most fertile during a time of crisis, and we've got to be there to help people. If that describes you, that's great, but if it doesn't describe you, the most important question that you need to answer today is, is do you want that to describe you? Do you want to be the person that is not only uh, elbow deep in the mission field, that you are screaming to God, send me some help. You're looking at people saying, help me, help me. I got a job for you to do. Here's somebody I want you to go and just be their friend. Help me because they are lost. And if they die today, they, they'll go to hell. They will not go to heaven. My goodness, the mission is urgent, isn't it? The mission is urgent. It is more urgent today than it ever has been. And it is getting more urgent all the time. And if that's who you want to be, I want to pray for you. And in just a minute, the altar will be open. But let me start praying for you right now. Let's bow for prayer. Lord Jesus, Lord, you know the hearts of those that are gathered here today. Lord, you've brought each individual here for a purpose. Lord, for many people that are here, I believe that you are touching their hearts, that you are calling them to, to a deeper commitment to you, a, a commitment to truly live out the Great Commission every day, everywhere. And Lord, I am praying for those that are here today that, that want to be brokenhearted for the lost. Lord, maybe it's a time that they will come and it's somebody that they, they know they're praying for, that they would come to this altar and just pour out their name before you as, as we uh, uh, close in prayer today. Uh, Lord, would it be a time that they grab a brother or a sister and say, Lord, help me, help me just start right now praying for this person. Lord, teach us how to pray for lost friends. Teach us how to pray for people who are far from you. Continue, continue to break our hearts so bad for lost people that we know, family members, Lord, friends. Lord, that we would literally weep. We would be on our knees weeping and begging you for their salvation. That we would stand before you, Lord, and we would, we would cry out. We would cry on their behalf, Lord, because we are desperate to see them pulled from the ice. Show us where to go. Lord, it might be across the street. It might be around the world. Lord, show us as we go, just show us the multitudes of people, Lord, and drive us to our knees, Lord, as we pray for people to join us on your harvest field. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. my early 30s when the Lord was calling me back to himself. I went to two funerals. 
of, of, of men that had been in my path. You know, went to the viewing. And I remember going up to the second one and looking. And the Lord saying to me, Larry, how many people are you going to come to their funeral? And I set them in your path. And you never shared your faith with them. You never shared the gospel with them. I didn't know where either one of those men spent eternity. And God convicted me that day that I have to share my faith with the people that God has put in my place. And so uh, Brother Ralph has really issued a challenge to us this morning. And I know two things here. He said, is there someone, when he mentioned that, when he said, is there someone in your life that you're praying for, that you know is lost, that you know are outside redemption, that you've been praying for? If that's true, I want, you, I want everyone to stand, if you will. If you have someone that when he said that, that's in your heart and your life, that you're praying for, that you know is away from the Lord, I want you will, if you'll come forward. And this morning, if you are not where you should be, if you're not where you should be, you come forward. But right now, we're just going to pray. He said that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so what we want to do is just gather together as a church and know that there are people that God has put in your place. He has set before you. Could be someone in your family. Could be a friend. Could be a co-worker. The Southern Baptist Convention a couple years ago did something that I thought was really good. And they said, they, they called it the one campaign, I think. And they said, who is your one? See, see where I get bogged down is I think I got to go out there and just say, be, be a witness to everybody. But could you imagine the impact we'd have if you just got passionate about one? Maybe it's your wife, maybe it's your husband, maybe it's your coworker, maybe it's your child. Whoever, the one. And you start praying for that one today and say, God, help me. And then do like Brother Rouse said and be, have a compassion for them. Be intentional about saying, let's go have lunch one day. Maybe find out that there's what's going on in their life. Maybe there's a sickness. Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe a family member's in the hospital. And go and minister to them. I, I think, church, it's time for us to realize as our culture has changed, as Brother Rouse said, that's not the preacher's job. We, we've let that happen too long. It's our job. We're the hands and feet of the Lord. And so what I want to do, I see a lot of people have gathered up, and so I'm going to ask if you all to just kind of take hands. And, and, the, and maybe the person beside you, if you'll share who that person is, just their name if you want to or who it is to you that you're praying for. Who, it is, who is it that you're praying for? Name the name. Put the name out before the throne room of God. And then this week, this week, make a plan. This week, make a plan. And say, that name that I've set before the throne room, I am going to follow up this week. And I'm going to set out to see what God will do in their life through me. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your presence and the challenge that Brother Ralph has given us. God, it's time. The... the the harvest has never been more ripe than it is now. He laid out so many things, Lord, that people are struggling with. And the word God out of the translation of mine, it said weary. People are weary. They're, they're corona weary. They're sickness weary. They're politics weary. They're race relations weary. And you're the answer to all that weariness, Lord. The, you said the peace that you give, the world can't give it. 
and we carry it with us. And I pray, Lord, for every person who's joined hands together now. And I lift up as those names are coming from their lips to your throne room, to the brother and the sister that's beside them. God, we come together as a church and we say that what we will do with each one of these names now, Lord, is we'll put action to it. That we'll see them like you see them. Lord, I, I confess that I don't see people like you see them. I, I'm certainly not broken when I see the lost. And so, Lord, if anybody needs to be broken in that, it's me. But, Lord, you've commanded us to go. And in these, the last days, and many of your children believe this is indeed the last days, may we answer the call that you've placed in our lives and in the life of the church to go. Lord, and you've set people in our path. And I, there's been times you put someone across my path and I missed it and I knew I missed it. Lord, may I not miss it. And Lord, I ask God that you would break our hearts yes. for what breaks yours. Lord, in Jesus' name. If you're here this morning, you have a special need. You have a, a need of a financial need, a spiritual need, a, a physical need. If you want to raise your hand, we'll have some people come around and, and pray. Everybody? Anybody? Okay. So here's what I hope. Now, Brother Ralph, I want to thank you for this message, for the challenge that he has put in our hearts. I don't know. Let's see. Two, There's probably 35 people up here. So what I see is 35 people that aren't here right now, that this week have been prayed for, and that somebody's going to minister to them. And so I'm excited about that. I don't think that will fall on deaf ears. You've prayed. You've put them for the throne room. And now if you'll set out and have compassion for them and just go be their friend, just go love on them, build a relationship. If you raise your hand and you come up here, you already have a relationship with them. And then you just share the gospel with them. You pray with them and then live it out before them. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be next week. It might be years. But I'm telling you, God will answer that prayer. I think about Brother Junius when I said that. Here's a man, he was pastor's, you know, he's pastor's brother. Many of you know him. He was alcoholic for many years. Many of you know his testimony. He's gone on to be with the Lord. I'm sure his mother wept many times over him. I imagine there's some parents and dads and some moms that have wept over your children before. And you can't see it. And she didn't see it on this earth. But she's in eternity with him now. She's in turn, yes, she, maybe there was broken relationships on this earth. There was sorrow on this earth. But there's rejoicing in heaven because she prayed and Pastor Don prayed and her family prayed. And God heard those prayers. And one day she was going on to be with the Lord. He came down and repented of his sin. And he put his trust in the Lord. He was a blessing to this church and everybody who met him. And God will do that. Amen. We just have to be willing to do what he's called us to do and leave the results to him. That's hard for me. I want to see something happen just like that. Okay, God, I prayed for them. Now, change them. I've witnessed to a lot of people, I see a bit of change in their life. Sometimes they got worse. I'm like, well, maybe I shouldn't do this because it got worse. But that's okay. You keep praying. Keep ministering to them. Keep spending time with them. God said his word wouldn't return void. So I'm excited about what you're going to do and what God's going to do. God, thank you for your presence here. Thank you for Brother Ralph. Now, Lord, may we go out and be your hands and feet. May we go out and have compassion on a lost and a, and a dying world and a world that is indeed weary and scattered. And may we go out, oh God, and just simply do what you've called us to do. 
to be your ambassadors. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Brother Ralph, thank you again for ministering to us for the challenge you gave us.